Turn with me in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 9. I feel like we're really making some real progress here through the book of Nehemiah. Pretty awesome. Nehemiah chapter 9. This morning we're continuing our study through the book of Nehemiah. Today we're looking at part 1. I know I just did like a part 1 and 2. Part 1 of a study I've titled, How God's Work of Revival Continued. Our main text is Nehemiah chapter 9, the whole chapter. But just for some context, we, we spent the last two weeks in chapter 8 looking at how God's work of revival began. We know that Ezra the priest and scribe, he had been there for many years before Nehemiah ever got there. He had been teaching the Word of God faithfully to the people. He had been praying that God would do a work of revival in the hearts of the people. But as often happens when we're praying for something or we're, we're tilling the soil, so to speak, we're, we're there and we're, we're trying to do the work of the Lord that we don't get to control the outcome, the speed of the process. We don't control when the, the thing actually springs forth and things start to happen. We might be praying for something for a lot of years before we begin to see any sort of outward fruit of the prayers or the, the, the preaching or the, the love uh, extended towards somebody. We don't, we don't know when that's all going to sort of come to a head. And that was true for Ezra and his ministry there in Jerusalem as he just continued to seek to be faithful to the, to the Lord and to, to, to the teaching of his word. And then all of a sudden, Nehemiah shows up, right? God moves him there and God rebuilds the walls and the gates of the city. And now it's like the hearts of the people are, are ready. They haven't been ready before, they're ready now. And so God begins to move in the hearts of the people. And that sort of happened as the people gathered on the first day of the month on the Feast of Trumpets to hear and receive the Word of God. Revival began to take place as God's Word got into God's people. As God's people began to understand His Word. As they then mourned and then rejoiced because of the Word of God, and then as they sought to obey God's Word. But as we get into chapter 9, we're going to see a notable change take place from the very great gladness, the great rejoicing and the feasting the people had had as they kept the Feast of Tabernacles, to, to them mourning and fasting just two days after what we saw at the end of chapter 8. But it's important for us to see that this change was good. It was necessary. It was part of the revival that God was continuing to bring about in His people. And so with that in mind, let's look at verses 1 through 3 of Nehemiah chapter 9. It says, verse 1, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage, lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And for another fourth they confessed and worshipped 
the Lord their God. Remember, there's a lot that kind of happened in the seventh month on the Jewish calendar. As I said, the first day of the month, that was when they celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. That's when all of this sort of began to to take place. On the tenth day of that month, they would have observed the Day of Atonement. And though we're not told explicitly that they did observe it, the fact that they found out on the second day of the month that the Feast of Tabernacles was coming in just about two weeks' time leads me to believe that they also would have known that the Day of Atonement was coming even sooner and out of obedience would have observed that day as well. And then starting on the 15th day of the month, the people began the week-long observance of the Feast of Tabernacles where they lived in booths that they had created in an act of obedience to God's Word. But now we're told that on the 24th day of that seventh month, which tells us that, again, two days have passed since what we saw at the close of chapter 8, that the children of Israel assembled with fasting in sackcloth with dust on their heads, that those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners, a, a separation symbolizing outwardly a desire to be holy, to be set apart unto their God as they sought Him. That they stood, they confessed their sins and the iniquities of the fathers, and that they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. So about three hours, they're just reading from the book of the law, and that for another fourth, another Three hours they confessed their sins and worshipped the Lord their God. And the fact that this whole scene didn't come about because of some prescribed day in the law where they were commanded to do this, that it, it didn't come about because the priests or the Levites instructed the people to do these things, but that this seemed to just come about because the Spirit of God had brought about this humility and brokenness in them. He he was moving them to do all of this. It makes what we're seeing here really special and clearly reveals that the work of revival that God had begun in His people, He was continuing to do. As I prepared for this study, I was uh, looking at Alan Redpath's uh, commentary. He has a a book that's studies on Nehemiah. It's a really great book. Um, And I'm going to pull from it in different places this morning because I really loved. He gave gave four principles of revival that he saw in this chapter. And I'm going to share those principles with you as we make our way through our time this morning. But the first principle of revival that Alan Redpath pointed out is that he said that that there's a return to brokenheartedness. And he said this, he said, God will never plant the seed of his life upon the soil of a hard, unbroken spirit. He will only plant that seed where the conviction of his spirit has has brought brokenness, where the soil has been watered with the tears of repentance as well as the tears of joy. He went on to say, if you want revival, Let me remind you that God only plants the seed of his life in a soil 
which has been broken up by repentance. One principle of revival, he said, is brokenness of heart. You know, when we think of brokenness, we think that something's wrong. I think in our minds, when we think of something being broken, we're like, that's not the right thing, right? Like, if it's broken, it needs to be fixed, like something's off. But there's something about a broken and contrite spirit that the Lord is attracted to in us. A brokenness over our our spiritual condition, our spiritual need for the Lord. God is drawn to that in us because that brokenheartedness is, is something in us that's really like, it's almost like a spotlight up into heaven saying, Lord, what I need is you. It's like the bat signal. God, I need you. Like, Lord, my heart is just, there's something going on in my life, and you're the only fix. You're the only solution. Lord, it has to be you. God loves to work in soft, humble, repentant hearts. And I have to ask us this morning, is that us? Is that us? Because I think oftentimes what happens just over the course of us living life, living our day, interacting with coworkers and neighbors, seeing what's going on in the news, we consider what's happening in our world. Somebody does something wrong to us. Somebody offends us. Somebody irritates us. And the softness goes away. We, we kind of like, I think in our culture, we, des- we despise some of these qualities that God has elevated. Softness and humility are not things that the world around us is going, yeah, let's be softer, let's be more humble. No. Our world doesn't care about softness of heart and humility, but they're missing out on God. They're they're missing out on the work of God in their lives. You and I at times may miss out on that work of God in our lives because the soil of our hearts has dried up a bit. And he's going, I want to plant the seed of my life. I want to do something in your heart, but I've got to break through some things first. Guys, it's so much better for us to be broken before the Lord than for Him to have to break us to get us to the place where He needs us to be and desires us to be. And maybe for us this morning, even just on that first principle of revival that we're going, I I see some hardness in me. I see maybe a lack of humility in my life. Maybe I'm humble in some areas, but then there's this pride over here. There's this pride that loves to rear its ugly head in this sort of situation, in this relationship, in this setting. And Lord, that thing's got to go. Because the only thing pride is going to do in our relationship with with the Lord is it's going to cause the Lord to oppose us. So pride does. God opposes the proud. That maybe this morning for us, even on that first thing, we're going, Lord, maybe, maybe what I miss, maybe I'm missing out on that work of revival that you're wanting to do. 
because there's a, there's a lack of these just very foundational things in my life, a lack of softness, a lack of humility, a lack of repentance. See, this was a, a humble people. These people were genuinely broken over their own sinfulness. They were desperate for the Lord. They, they wanted God to know how serious they were in their desire for Him. This is why, with no coaching from anybody else, they show up and they're fasting. They've got sackcloth on. That means they're just they're afflicting themselves. I want to be as uncomfortable as possible right now. I got dust on my head. It's like, I need you, God. I'm serious about you. The, the work of revival that God began to do 23 days earlier was not a work that God wanted to have stay as a thing of the past in the lives of his people. Like, oh, great. Wasn't that awesome? Like 23 days ago when we gathered, wasn't that great? No, he wanted it to be an ongoing work in the hearts of his people in the present each and every day of them really seeking after him with their whole hearts. And, and this is true for what he's wanting to do in us each day as well. But let's move on. Verses 4 through 6 says, Then Jeshua, Bonnie, Cadmiel, Cadbury Egg. For whatever reason, when I saw Cadmiel, think of Cadbury. Anyways. Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, another Bonnie, Kanani, stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Pethaheah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. See, the, the posture of heart that the people had as they gathered to seek the Lord, it affected others. It affected the men listed in verses 4 and 5, and this group likely being a mixture of both priests and Levites, where they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God as they stood on the stairs of the Levites. And, and out of this came this prayer of confession and worship that we're going to see throughout the rest of the chapter which is actually one of the longest recorded prayers in all of Scripture. Now, at least some of these men listed in verses 4 and 5 were also a part of the group of spiritual leaders listed in chapter 8, who had quieted the people in their state of overwhelming grief and mourning as God began to, to move in their hearts on that first day of the month as they heard God's word read to them for some five to six hours. These same men who encouraged the people not to mourn nor weep because that day the Feast of Trumpets was holy to the Lord, it was meant to be a day of feasting and celebration before the Lord. But, but now as the people have gathered on this day, this 24th day in this state of mourning, fasting, <coughs> brokenness, 
before the Lord as they confess their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. The spiritual leaders here knew, you know, this is the right time for this. And instead of quieting the people, they, they encouraged and they led the people in a corporate prayer which, which focused on confession and, and worship and also on recognizing their need for the Lord and the greatness of their God. And again, this work of revival that God was doing, not just in how it began, but now still in how it continued, came as a result of what the, the Spirit of God was doing through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. They read first from God's Word for three hours. And then after hearing from the Lord in His Word, they then responded for three hours in praying to the Lord and confessing their sins to the Lord in worshiping the Lord. And as they took in the Word of God, what came out first in their corporate time of prayer was worship to their Lord. Notice all the uses of you throughout this chapter. You, you are the Lord, you alone, you made heaven, you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you, praising him for his glorious name, noting his exclusivity. He alone is God, there's no other God beside him. Praising him as creator, not just attributing power to him, but authority. And being the one who preserves everything. In Him all things consist. And that the host of heaven, the angelic realm, worships Him. They were acknowledging and praising God for who He is, which is such an important part of our worship of Him. But, but something else often comes along with that when we do that, that as we recognize Him for who He is, we, we start to see ourselves more accurately in the light of His perfection and glory for who we really are, which, which is meant to bring about humility and awe and, and reverence in our lives, which are all key ingredients in God's continuing work of revival in us, but they're ingredients that can lose their importance and priority in our minds and in our lives over the course of time. But this initial outburst of praise is going to lead into some other things here as we continue looking at this prayer. We're going to be reminded of God's faithfulness to His Word, His faithfulness to His promises, faithfulness to His people his goodness to his people in spite of their rebellion and pride and unfaithfulness. And so beginning in verse 7, we're going to actually read a good chunk here. He says, You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. 
You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with the pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. Verse 16, but they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But look, but look at their response of that. Look at, look at the emphasis now on the Lord. But you are God, ready to pardon gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day, to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, the land of the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go in and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they wished. Verse 25, And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, They were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven 
And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. Verse 32, now therefore our God, the great, the mighty and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy. Do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers, and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. Part of this work of revival that God was continuing to do in his people involved them looking back at the history of their people. And as they did that, they they emphasized different things about the Lord and different things about themselves. But in order to do that, they, they needed to look back at their history through a clear lens, an honest and humble lens at how things really were. You ever find yourself looking back at things and just over the course of time, your, your lens of things gets a little clouded and you start to feel like maybe something from the past wasn't as bad as it really was. Maybe your actions weren't, weren't as serious as now you see them to be. And how important it is to be honest, <laughs> with ourselves, honest about those things, honest honest about who we've been before the Lord. And and I think along with that, it's important for us to to have the right kind of lens as we see our God in in the midst of all that mix of the history of our lives. Because how many of us, maybe, maybe not in our own lives have we done this, but maybe, maybe we've even heard somebody who has kind of taken up this perspective and what happens over time. And, and maybe you've walked alongside them long enough in their lives and you could testify, man, God showed up in your life. God delivered you there. He protected you there. He provided for you there. He, he healed you. He helped you. He encouraged you. You remember you were filled. But then what can happen sometimes on, when you're in the, on that end, you're the person who went through it. What can happen is your lens of those things, you start to see God through the lens of your circumstances instead of seeing God as he, as he really was. And maybe the, the, the circumstances of your life jade the way you see him. 
And so as you look back over the course of your life, you're like, okay, yeah, maybe he, sh- okay, okay, he showed up, but like, it, he could have done more. Yeah, he, he saved me there, he delivered me, but there was this other time that he didn't. And man, all of a sudden, we're just like picking and choosing how we want to see the hand of God in our life. Instead of just looking back with that clear lens, that honest lens of seeing, God, you've always been there. I've been a mess, but God, you were faithful. <laughs> I was stubborn. We, we look at this, and maybe for some of us who are, you know, we're advancing in days of life. It's like a nice way of saying we're getting old. They had stiff necks. Yeah, I've got a stick neck sometimes. <laughs> like we might read something like that. that was that was a bad thing? That stiff their necks were stiff. Like they couldn't turn. They would not turn to the Lord. They were stiffened. They were set in this direction that was like God. I know you're wanting me to to turn towards you, but I'm just going to keep on with what I'm doing. That they could even rationalize killing the prophets of God. Later on, making up for it by building the tombs for them, as Jesus indicted the religious leaders in his day. Look at this great thing we're doing. I mean, I know our fathers were the ones that murdered him, but we're building tombs for him. We're honoring him. He's like, no, you're jacked up just like them. See, in order for this work of revival to continue, it was important for them to look back at patterns and failures and pitfalls of the past, unhealthy cycles in their relationship with the Lord, so that those things that derailed any sort of, of, of work of revival God wanted to do in the past would not be repeated in the present or carried with us into the future. And it's important we do the same. All through those verses we just read, this prayer of confession and worship to their God, from the time of Abraham to Moses to the judges once God brought His people into the promised land, then to the time of the kings, which eventually included the, the, the northern tr- uh, kingdom of Israel being conquered by the Assyrians, and then many years later, the southern kingdom being conquered by the Babylonian Empire. Until that present day, we see a powerful contrast in this prayer between God's faithfulness and goodness to His people and the Israelites' constant rebellion and wickedness, wickedness against their good God. Alan Redpath, again, one of these principles, the second principle of revival that he pointed out in his, his book is he said that the principle there of revival is that we have this reflection upon God's goodness. He wrote, practically, the whole of this ninth chapter of Nehemiah is devoted to the prayer that the people offered. What an utterance of praise there is here, and what a confession of sin and failure. 
There is praise for what God is, for his covenant with them through Abraham, for his deliverance from Egyptian bondage, for his tender guidance all during their history. In spite of all that, there had been repeated sin and failure, and again and again that failure was matched by a new outpouring of the grace of God. He went on to say, one principle of revival is taking time for reflection upon God's goodness, upon His way with you through the years that have passed. And he asked, have you done that lately? You know, I think we get so busy, we can't even have, we don't even make the time to just reflect on how good God is. We're just so busy. We have so much stuff going on in our lives. I mean, just trying to eke out 30 minutes maybe in the morning or later in the day or sometime during the day with the Lord can be difficult for many. But, but are we missing things because we're just not taking the time? to really consider how good our God is, how good He's been to us. You know, maybe for some of us, our story resembles the story of the Israelites that we just read about. Seeing God's goodness, His promises, His faithfulness, His provision, His deliverance, His blessings... The victory that he's brought over and over at different points in our lives, but mixed in with all of that has been our stubbornness, our failures, our rebellion, our pride, our self-reliance, our disobedience, and our unfaithfulness to him. It's so important we reflect on and, and remember God's goodness, with, that we, we remember, we reflect on his way with us through our lives, that we remember that the mercies of God are made new to us every morning. That includes today. And see that God is constantly seeking to draw us to himself, is wanting to revive and to cause us to flourish because he's good like that. That there's a new outpouring of the grace of God for each of us today. And man, don't we need it? Don't we need God to just pour out His grace again and again and again? I love it that James in his letter says he gives more grace. He gives more grace. I mean, how much grace did he give his people and all the things that we just read about? Man, look how good he is and he delivered and he brought him out and he defeated the Egyptian army that was after them. And it's like, then they made this calf and said, here's your God, Israel. And then God, you provided and their sandals didn't wear out and they had food every single day and they just complained. And they complained and they wanted to like have a leader to lead them back into Egypt because they thought for some reason Egypt was better than it really was. It was just bondage. And again and again, and again, he gives more grace. Gives more grace. And these people knew that they needed God's grace presently as these things were being prayed. Look at verse 32. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy 
Do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and on all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings, nor our princes, our priests, nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them, for they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked works. Here we are, servants today, and the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty. Here we are, servants in it, and it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. In these verses, we see a a shift in the emphasis of this corporate prayer. From looking back to looking at their need in the present, from from confessing the iniquities of their fathers as seen in the frequent use of the word they, they did this, this is what happened to them, to now confessing their own sins as we see them using the words we and us. The the problem wasn't just with the fathers in the past who sinned against God. It was these people in the present who themselves had sinned against God and needed His forgiveness and mercy and His grace. They, in their own lives, had done wickedly and were in distress. And all of this is just sort of reinforced how badly They were in need of the Lord, which brings up this third principle principle of of revival that Alan Redpath pointed out as he pointed out in verse 33. So the third principle of revival here is a recognition of our sinfulness. He wrote, it's a tremendous moment in a Christian's life when he can honestly look up into the face of God and say, yes, Lord, you are right and I am wrong when he stops arguing with God and drops his controversy. He says, Lord, yes, I've got what I deserved in this situation. You are right. I am wrong. That is the thing for which God has been working in your life and mine from the very moment of our conversion. He said, I believe that God is more ready to forgive the sins of his people than a mother is to snatch a little child out of the fire But the sin God never forgives is a sin we will not confess. He says that is why revival does not come. I don't think any of us like to admit, God, I'm wicked. My heart's wicked. It's messed up, Lord. There's stuff in there and... I mean, maybe there's times when it doesn't seem as wicked, but like it's, it's, it's there. To come to that place as the Jewish people did here, where they told God, look, you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. 
You were faithful, God, we were unfaithful. You were good and we were rebellious. But here's the thing about confession. That word confession means to say the same thing about something. Say the same thing. And so when it comes to confession of sin, we need to say the same thing about our sin that God does. Not what our world wants to redefine sin to be or not be, but what God says it is. Lord, if you say something is sin, then God in confession, I'm saying, God, it's sin. It's a sin in my life. I can try to make an excuse for it. I could try to make light of it. But God, it's sin. And that sin is damaging my fellowship with you. God, things aren't right in my life when I'm not confessing my own sinfulness to you. But what an amazing thing that we find when we do confess, we do bring those things before the Lord, that as John writes in his first epistle, that when we confess our sins, that God is faithful and He's just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Confession can be such a hard thing to do. Why? Because of our pride. We want to think better about ourselves. We want others to think that we are better than we really are, more righteous than we really are, more put together than we really are. And in confession, we're coming to God saying, but God, that's not really the reality of my life. Because God, you see me. You see me for the real me. You see the deepest parts of me. You see all the, the crud that if other people knew that this, this stuff was in my mind, they wouldn't even want to hang out with me. And he sees it all. And instead of being repulsed by us, he's going, I can forgive you. I can cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. I can do something in your life in those things. I can bring about change I can restore what's broken. And all of these things that are made possible, made available to us because of Jesus Christ. Man, what, a, what an amazing thing that we get to enter into in this Christian life. You know, one of the, the dictionary definitions as I've, shared in the past uh, for the word revival was to bring back, to bring back. That, that definition helps us to see that in God bringing about his, his work of revival in our lives, it's important we recognize areas of sin, those things that may have gotten off track in our lives, even if the, the off track things have to do with our priorities and the focus of our lives so that those things can be confessed to the Lord. We can be brought back on track, be brought back into right fellowship with the Lord and be where He wants us to be. And I, I see an example of this in the word that Jesus gave to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. 
where he commended this amazing church and so many different things. He talks about their works and their labor. More than once, he mentions their labor for him. Their patience, that they couldn't bear those who are evil, that they tested and identified false apostles. Man, like glowing, some glowing commendations. But there was something in their lives that was off, that wasn't where it was supposed to be, that they had left their first love. And because of this, Jesus told them to remember, therefore, from where they had fallen, to repent and do the first works. You ever found yourself working at the wrong things? How about working at good things that are not the best things? You ever got distracted and you, you know that like at the top of your priority list should be something else, but then all of a sudden you find yourself like doing all of these other things that were much lower on the list that all of a sudden like you kind of bumped up to the front and the thing that should have been done, the thing that shouldn't have been left off first ended up taking like last place. These people, the church of Ephesus, they worked at good things, but they needed to work at the best thing, which was loving God. Loving God. They left off the thing that should never have been left behind. They had gotten caught up with doing things for Jesus And it left behind their first love with Jesus. You know, maybe what some of us need is for God to just bring us back to revive us in our love for Him. Maybe for some of us, our our Christianity has become about doing a bunch of good things, scriptural things even. But maybe we've lost sight of the most important things, the greatest of all the commandments that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength with every bit of every part of who we are and then to love our neighbor as ourself. And if he's speaking that to any of us today, we need to remember from where we've fallen We need to repent and come back to that place of loving Jesus supremely and then staying in that place. That's the hard part, right? Staying in that place. It's not just remembering in a moment. It's it's keeping that in the front of our minds. But look at our final verse, verse 38. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. This work of revival, God was continuing to, to do didn't end with the people just mourning and fasting and and confessing, and it didn't end with them just worshiping. All those were really good things. But these things led them to want to really commit themselves fully to the Lord. And this is seen in the covenant they were about to write and all who were going to sign and seal it. And this kind of leads into the the last, the fourth fourth principle of revival that Alan Redpath uh, outlined in his book he said that the last principle was the renewal of our obedience we see this in verse 38 but we're going to consider this point this principle of revival in greater detail 
in chapter 10 next week. But maybe today, as we kind of consider these principles of revival, are, are in need of a healthy dose of, of brokenheartedness. Maybe there's a softening work that's that needing to happen in you and me. As we kind of, and maybe just like an initial survey of like the, the landscape of our heart, we're going, man, there is some hardness there. Maybe there's someone. Maybe it's not a something, it's a someone. And our heart is hard towards that person. Maybe we have unforgiveness or bitterness in our heart towards somebody. And it's defiling us on the inside. Maybe it's for us, we need to spend time reflecting upon God's goodness throughout our lives. We're just kind of like, we're so go, go, go that we're not taking time to like consider who our God is and what he's done and, and have that time to really worship him as he deserves to be worshiped. Maybe we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and really be honest with the Lord and recognize our own sinfulness. These principles of revival pointed out to us today in this chapter are, are, are principles that apply to us. They're relevant for us today. And whether we're in the place of needing God to begin of a work of revival in us or, or in the place of needing God to continue the work of revival He's already begun to do, what He's really after is us our hearts, wanting such a closeness with us. And just like the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, did a work in the lives of the people of God in Nehemiah's day, the Spirit of God is wanting to work through the Word of God in our lives today. And the right response is always humility. It's always surrender. It's always confession. It's always Worship, it's always to love Him because He first loved us. I'm going to have the worship team come back up. You know, maybe for some of us this morning, these things are just like, <laughs> maybe, they're, maybe they're pretty convicting. Maybe we're just going like, Lord, you are nailing me this morning. Like, I could just feel your finger, just pointing things out in my life and wanting to draw me to yourself so that you can deal with those things and do something in the depths of my heart. And maybe for some of us, we're going, I'm like, I'm just so thankful as I consider the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the provision of God, the power of God, the deliverance of God shown over and over in spite of an unfaithful, rebellious, stubborn, prideful people that I'm encouraged, I am comforted, I am, I am, I am built up with hope today to know that the same God of the, of the Israelites and Nehemiahs today is my God. He's the same God, gracious and merciful slow to anger, abounding in mercy and loving kindness and ready to forgive. Have we lost sight of who our God is? If we have, just come back today. <laughs> Lord, revive my thinking about you. Bring me back to that place of, of who you really are. 
God, do that softening work in my heart. Lord, there's some hardness there. God, I've allowed some weeds and stumps and rocks to just be embedded in the soil of my heart. There's sin. There's things there that need to be dealt with. God, I I confess those things to you today. And Lord, give me the grace and the power to truly repent. To re- not just to be sorrowful for a moment, but Lord, that that godly sorrow would produce real repentance, a change of life, a change of action, a change of direction, a change of thinking. And to know that we can trust God that He is able and He's desiring to do those things in your and my life. Why? Because He just loves us. He loves us and He wants us. And He knows what's best for us, doesn't He? Lord, we thank You for Your Word this morning. God, I don't know what the Word was for each today. Lord, if it was, maybe it was a mixture of conviction and encouragement. Maybe, maybe the conviction seemed to outweigh the encouragement or the encouragement seemed to outweigh the conviction. But God, whatever it was, Lord, continue the work that you are doing. God, get down into the soil of our hearts, Lord, as the master gardener. God, prune away, dig out, break up the soil. God, plant the right things. Water the seed of your word with the spirit of God. That, God, you would bring change, you'd bring growth, you'd bring transformation, you'd bring greater Christ-likeness and greater intimacy and fellowship between us and you. And I just encourage you this morning, if this morning you have felt the convicting work of God, if there is confession and repentance that is needed Don't harden your heart to the conviction that God is bringing right now. Don't try to make excuses for it. Don't try to make light of your sin, but confess it. Say the same thing about your sin that God does. Bring those things before Him and and repent. Ask God if maybe you've tried to repent, you've, you've wanted to repent, but, but you keep going back to some of the same things. God, please help me. A, a fresh outpouring of your grace, Lord, to walk in true repentance today and for the rest of my life. Lord, I want victory. That this morning you would get real with the Lord. Because you're not hiding anything from Him. (laughs) He sees it already. Lord, those that are in need of just encouragement and comfort today to, to be reminded, maybe right now they're reflecting upon your goodness in the past. Lord, they're they're considering different moments throughout their lives of God, how you showed up, how you were present, how you saved and delivered and and helped and healed and comforted and provided. 
That God, that the faithfulness of you in the past would help them to trust you in the present. That God, even now, there would just be this swelling of worship within our hearts to you, God. Because you're worthy. But if you've joined us today and you've never just first put your faith in Jesus Christ, look, the, the, the thing that's standing between you and God is, is not God's unwillingness. It's your sin that's needing to be forgiven. And the only way for that to happen is to, is to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. To know that He is able to save. He's desiring to save. But He won't forgive the sins that you don't confess to Him. He can't save the life that won't humble themselves before Him. And if that's you this morning and you're wanting Jesus to save you, to forgive you, to give you newness of life, to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus, would you just stand where you're at? I'd love to pray for you if that's you this morning and you're going, that's me. Jesus, I need you. I want you. Is there anybody here this morning and you're going, that's me. Lord, you, you know the state of people's hearts. God, you know even if there's someone 10 years from now that listens to this message and, and, and as they're listening to it, they're just being convicted in their hearts. They're going, Lord, that's me. I'm a sinner. God, you've been faithful and I've been wicked. Lord, would you save a wretch like me? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. You rose from the grave in victory. You proved that you are who you said you are. You can do what you said you'll, you'll do. And Jesus, would you raise me to newness of life? Would you seal me with your Holy Spirit? Would you make me a child of God today? Jesus, I repent of my sin. And I put my faith in you. I just encourage you as you do that, the Bible says you will be saved. You will be saved. And Lord, for those of us who are saved, God, would we just, Lord, worship you as you deserve? You're God. You're, you alone are God. You created all. And you sustain all. God, you sustain our very lives. And this morning, God, we just we ask you, we ask in faith. And we ask, Lord, believing that we're going to receive it, Lord, because you've already said you'll do it. Lord, would you give us more grace today? Pour out your grace upon us, Lord. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.